Welcome to Innovate at Open, the podcast that explores open source through the lenses of distributed collaboration, collective invention, and technology creation. I'm your host, Gordon Half, technology evangelist with Red Hat. Hi, everyone. I'm here with John Shigarian today uh, to talk about his book, The Insecurity of Everything, which is a really a very hot topic in the IoT space. So, John, can you introduce yourself and talk about why you decided to co-author this book? Sure. My name is John Shigarian, and I'm the co-founder and the CEO of Electronic Recyclers International, typically called ERI, and our website is eridirect.com. And I co-authored this book, The Insecurity of Everything, because it's one of the greatest threats to our households, our organizations and businesses that we work with, and also our government and our homeland security that people are not talking about. It is getting no publicity whatsoever, but these threats that run through our old electronics that are massive and huge. So let's first, uh, let's unpack that a little bit because you've talked to a few different topics here. So let's first of all talk about the, um, really the sustainability question here that, you know, we, we all have these phones and they get thrown out every few years or so, that's not even leaving aside all the cheaper consumer electronics. So what's going on there? Great question, Gordon. And the truth is, when I got in this business about 18 or so years ago, electronic waste, which was then the beginning of the dark side, the the the, the, the backside of the technological revolution, uh, was the fastest growing solid waste stream on the planet. That was about 18 years ago. If you fast forward now to 2022, e-waste and electronic waste, as it's most commonly called, is the fastest growing solid waste stream by an order of magnitude of five times. Not just one anymore. It's five times the fastest growing solid waste stream because we've seen an explosion of the ubiquity of electronics in our life just the last 18 years. So, for instance, when we got in this business, there was no iPad or no iPhone. There was no Internet of Things. Uh, Cars were not computers on wheels at that time. And that's all changed. And wearables weren't a thing. And now all those things have changed. And wearables, we're all wearing wearables. We know now uh, the EV cars and the all modern cars are all computers on wheels. And we all are enjoying the beauty of Nest and Alexa and all these other great gadgets that have been created that make our professional and personal lives more connected, more fun, more personal, but also there's a dark side to it. The, the, the dark side is, is, is twofold. One is the environmental side. So you said, let's talk about the environmental side. On the environmental side, old electronics should never be put into landfills because they all contain some varying amount of arsenic, lead, beryllium, cadmium, mercury, uh, and and other toxic materials. So putting these into landfills, where which are typically then get wet from the rain, which typically end up having holes in the liners and then leach into the uh, ground supply, water supply, and then work their way back up into our vegetarian animals and the human 
uh, ecosystem is a very bad thing for the environment and all of us that live in the environment on this planet. So that's a big no-no. Shipping our old electronics that we use in the United States off to foreign shores such as China, India, or Africa to be handled there or recycled there is also very bad. Why? You destroy the environmental footprint, the carbon footprint, by shipping it a long distance to those foreign lands. Second of all, they typically don't have the right equipment to recycle these old electronics appropriately. And also, in many cases, it's been found and reported that human rights violations have been violated because children are co-opted or underage people are co-opted into the process of recycling old electronics. So recycling these materials domestically, old electronics, within a three to 500 mile radius of where they're used and where they're enjoyed is really the right way to responsibly recycle our old electronics. And when done the right way, Gordon, here's the great part of the story. It's zero waste, zero landfill, and zero emissions. So that means that all the commodities that come out of our old electronics, and in order of volume, that means glass, shredded steel, plastic, aluminum, copper, gold, silver, lead, and palladium, all go to smelters for beneficial reuse to be made into new products after they go through a responsible recycling process. So it's great. It's zero waste, zero landfill, and zero emissions. So what needs to change in order to kind of realize this beneficial recycling? Great question. Well, what needs to really change is education, because according to the UN's latest statistics, only 17% of all electronics being used around the planet right now are going to a responsible recycler when they come to the end of life. In the United States, the number is closer to 12.5%. So we just need more education because most of us, according to the US EPA, have between 22 and 27 gadgets in our offices, in our homes, that are in our desk drawers, in our closets, in our attics, in our garages, because we don't really know what to do with them uh, at when they come to their end of life. Or we're scared to give them to people that are less than transparent uh, or organizations that are not transparent when they're handling them. So what do we do? We just hoard them then and due to the hoarding or the inappropriate disposal, our recycling rates on these materials are very low all around the world. So I think that's a good segue to the next part of this discussion, which is around data. And this uh, really grabbed my attention because over over the holidays, I have this had this pile that I sort of jokingly called my disk drive museum sitting in one of the rooms upstairs. <laughs> and I went in, you know, I went in there and I mostly cleaned out. I kept a few for show and tell, and they are now in a box in my garage. Um, and the reason they're in a box in my garage, first of all, I know what you shouldn't just throw them out, but you absolutely shouldn't throw a disk drive out because some of those, I know, have unencrypted data on them. So let's talk about this problem next. Yeah, it's just think about when you see the shredded truck come up to an office 
and it shreds data that's on paper. And, and basically, that whole discussion, as we're going to become more and more a paperless society, both in our homes and our offices, think about all the old hardware that we have and all the information that travels through it. So what happens to that hardware and the data that's contained therein when that hardware comes to its end of life. Now, if misappropriated, even in a benign way by a household member uh, or by a person who works for a, a, a privately held or publicly traded corporation and the wrong people, let's just call them the bad guys, get their hands on your old electronics, they could reverse engineer your life. And what that means is they could capture your banking information, your birth, date of birth, your social security information, and all the personal information that greatly affects your family life and or your professional life. So handling your old electronics when they come to their natural end of life and making sure the data is responsibly destroyed or removed is absolute of paramount importance. Now, you had some stats in, in your book talking about sort of how big a problem this was, even at the company level. You had numbers, as I recall, like maybe around half the disks that have been disposed of at companies still have information on them. Yeah, and even they've done studies. The National Association of Information Destruction, called NADE, has done studies that even when they've gone through, quote, unquote, a recycler who claims they were destroying the information, as you said, Gordon, it's just shocking when that when that disk is put back up for sale that they still contain the personal identifiable information of the user. So picking recyclers who are registered and authorized and certified to destroy all the information that's contained in your hardware is really part of the big solution that people need to adhere to in the future. Now, of course, disk drives are obvious. They have lots of data on them. That's kind of what they exist for. And right. it's not really a stretch to go from there to go, you know, probably should be careful with those USB right. sticks too. But uh, in your book, I think you have almost a full page listing of the types of devices that contain data of various sorts. Yeah. I mean, let's just take some of the less obvious ones. A copy machine, the hard drive of a copy machine shockingly holds all of the copies that were ever made on that machine. So let's then take it into where a setting where things get really crazy. You put it in a hospital or some other healthcare agency, and now it has every copy that's come across during the life of that copy machine. That means all of the HIPAA protected and GDPR protected information of the patients that have gone through that healthcare facility. Now, if the wrong individual gets their hands on that hard drive, they can reverse engineer the lives of tens of thousands of patients. Very, very dangerous for the healthcare agency, 
very, very dangerous for the patients that are being taken care of and getting treatment and being thinking they're being protected when really they're being exposed. Now, one will at least hope that companies who read this book, hear this podcast, if they're not already doing so, they you know, get on the horn and figure out what type of recycler they should be using. But what really are consumers to do? Because, you know, as I say, I, I just drive sitting in my attic. I suppose I could take a sledgehammer to them, but I don't really know as an individual what I should be doing. Yeah, it's a great question. A, um, when choosing a, a, a organization to give your old electronics back to, you have to make sure they have the one-two punch of both the right environmental certifications, which in this instance with electronics would be either an e-steward or an R2 certification. Uh, and when it comes to data destruction and responsible data destruction, which is um, why we're here today talking about the insecurity of everything, uh, they should be a NAID certified, NAID.org certified recycler. Um, and if they're not certified in all of their facilities uh, or the facility that you would be sending your material to or that the organization is using to send your old electronics to, I wouldn't give those old electronics to that organization. The risks are just way too high. Now, the, the, does government have any role to play here? I mean, you, you're, you've just kind of given me the roadmap for what a responsible individual yeah. should do. That sounds like a fair bit of work and effort to go to. Uh, can manufacturers do anything? Can the government do anything? You know, what needs to be done here? Well, great question. On the government side, um, the what's happened is this. In the May of 2018, the EU passed what is called GDPR. And GDPR was sort of a very, very big version of data controls and privacy protections for the denizens and citizens of the European Union nations to protect them from large and small organizations from misappropriating the data of their constituents or their or the privacy of their constituents. So that was May of 2018. And it's been so far very successful. The U.S. being who we are, looks to the EU for their best thinking and their best ideas. And then they say, as we do here in America, hey, we're the United States. We can do things bigger and better. And the federal government started to try to create their own version of GDPR which would be privacy controls and data protection for the citizens of the United States. And they put five or six different bills in that really never went anywhere because bigger things happened along the way, immigration issues, healthcare issues, and now COVID, of course, the last two years. So the state said, hey, Washington, D.C., we're not going to wait for you anymore. This is way too important. So the states have started passing their own versions of GDPR, creating privacy and data security statutes in the states that govern any of the organizations or corporations that do business or manage data in those states. The first states that started were 
New York and California, Nevada and Maine follow. Six states so far have them. Every state is predicted in the next two years to pass their own version of privacy and data protection laws. So what that does is it empowers the states and the prosecutors in that state, the attorney general of that state, and also the courts of that state to hear and see cases if they've been breaches or a misappropriation of the data that's control that's contained by, or, or, or managed by an organization for now the citizens of the United States or in those instances, the citizens of those states to then sue the offenders who have misappropriated data or harmed the privacy of the users. Now, I'd like to come at this from a slightly different angle. One of the issues, it seems to me, is that it's not just the, you know, the disk drive or the USB or the copier hard drive after equipment's been retired. It's also that everything is connected these days. And quite frankly, if you look at IoT, Internet of Things, you sometimes wonder why does this thing need to be connected? And for that matter, what happens if the manufacturer decides to turn off the service? Is your, does your TV not work any longer? You're very right. And the, um, we're so interconnected now, which in many ways makes our lives professionally and personally so much more fun and interesting. But the dark side of it is the data that's flowing through our computers, our wearables, our laptops, our cell phones, even now our very modernized cars, which have hard drives in them. So imagine if you were to go to a rental agency today, Gordon, use a car for three days in a city that you were visiting, and your cell phone's information got downloaded to the hard drive of that car. I have, we have... At our company, seen hundreds upon hundreds of cases where car rental agencies, car manufacturers have come to us to help them with this problem because people who then go into that car after and rent it, if they had any malintent, could literally see all of your contacts and all the information that was either on your that on your cell phone or your laptop that was in the car that got downloaded because you inadvertently pressed the wrong button when you were going through the checks, when you were using that vehicle. And now that vehicle storing up to dozens of the users that used it, their personal information, which creates literally a time bomb because at one point or another, a bad person, a cyber criminal is going to want that information and have it very accessible to him and what the damage they could do, it's incredible. You know, Gordon, the, the most recent statistics are, are such. In 2015, cyber criminals, remember, we grew up, you and I are of a generation where we grew up our, with our parents telling us that crime doesn't pay. Well, in 2015, the cyber criminals successfully made off with about $3 trillion. A mere six years later, in 2021, cyber criminals have upped that ante now to making way with, they, they predict last year was about $6 trillion. That number's double. So they are looking for every weakness that they can find, whether it be software weaknesses, phishing weaknesses, or hardware weaknesses 
in everything that we do in our personal and professional lives to try to make a successful cyber attack on us. And that's, we're trying to focus on the hardware side and help people button that part of their risk up so they don't get attacked needlessly. One other thing you wrote in the book that I thought was interesting because from a IoT security perspective, one of the issues is, is a lot of these are cheap devices. This isn't so true with phones, but certainly with a lot of the IoT devices around a home, is that they've already made their money by selling it to you. There's no money to be made in having updates and security patches and things like that. And I think that may have been one of the things that you were touching on when you talked about, do we need to move to more of a rental model than an ownership model in some cases? Yeah, and that's still up for debate. But the bottom line is all of your wonderful gadgets in your home now, your, just for example, your ring or your nest, when those things come to their end of life, you've got to make sure everything's scrubbed up. Whether you sell your home or you're changing out your system in your home or your business, make sure that all that hardware gets destroyed or at least the data is destroyed by a responsible agency or a corporation like ours. And there's, much, there's many others like ours that can do this to make sure all that information goes away. Yeah, well, that seems there's an even broader problem, I think, around smart homes is, you know, a house doesn't need to come with an instruction manual for dumb light switches. But, you know, somebody, my, my brother just finished rebuilding a house and there's all kinds of gadgetry around it. I, I have trouble figuring out <laughs> some of the remotes and so forth myself. Um, but, you know, it, there is this, there's this complexity problem, really. Yeah, I, I, I agreed. And the, the, the truth is, we're never all going to be 100% safe with our privacy and data. But we can be safer by trying to follow good practices in our hardware sanitation and also maintaining good software practices as well. So I think you've, you've touched a lot of this, but if you know, we go fast forward, you know, five, 10 years, um, what do you think we'll look back at and say, well, that was a really bad practice or a design pattern and, Hopefully, thank goodness, we've mostly fixed that. I'm hoping that through great podcasts like yours, Gordon, and furthering to educate leaders at corporations, government entities, and just the man and woman on the street, that more people are just going to pay attention to these issues because so many of these breaches happen from benign neglect, no malice, benign neglect, voids in information, gaps in information. And the more people focus on this, the more they can be safer when they use all these wonderful gadgets that we all get to enjoy on a regular basis. This hardware thing is not going away. There's going to be more and more hardware as now the world becomes more VR um, uh, oriented and so many new gadgets are coming out. When you pay attention to what goes on at CES every year, for instance, 22,000 or so new new SKUs come out every year in terms of new electronic products. 
So it's almost impossible to keep up with the velocity of what's going on and demand that's being created with new electronics. But with that comes the risks of the data that's contained and passes through these electronics and making sure that we mitigate those risks is pretty much the goal. And so much of that starts with just simply put education. Was a good way for a CIO, a CISO, um, chief privacy officer, whatever at a business to learn more about this kind of thing? Yeah. Well, I'd love them to read my book and not because I'm trying to make money selling the book. I really don't try to make money selling the book. I just use it as an education tool. So I'm happy to send any of your listeners that want a a free copy, uh, a copy of this book. But reading the book and educating themselves to best practices when it comes to hardware, um, CISOs, CISOs have been very focused on the software side. Mm -hmm. Very few have been focused on the hardware side. And some of the biggest brands and biggest organizations who've become clients of ours over the years, we've learned it starts with an education and it starts with showing them what we can do for them. And then they, they, they have an enlightened moment where then they start changing their practices. And that's really it. It's just getting themselves educated and then interviewing some different responsible recyclers and going on premise and seeing them themselves so they don't have to just trust a website or anything like that touching it for themselves and going to make sure that they do an in-person audit and what, what they say they're doing with the data is being done is really of paramount importance when they're choosing a vendor to handle the assets of Fortune 100, 200, 500, cor- these corporations that really have hundreds of thousands of employees. And if there's a breach, it could be a disaster for both the goodwill of their brand and for the liability that also accrues to that brand based upon the the, the, the client base that they have and the clients being breached as well. Well, great. Thank you very much, John. Is there anything you'd like to close with? Gordon, I'm just very grateful for your podcast and you're helping to spread the word. Grateful for your time today and the fact that you interviewed us. And I'm really just thankful for the time that, that I got to share our message with you today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Innovate at Open. For future episodes, subscribe to Innovate at Open on your favorite podcast app. You could also go bitmason, B-I-T-M-A-S-O-N, dot blogspot.com for show notes, blogs, and a full archive of episodes and more. Thank you for listening. This is Gordon Half, technology evangelist at Red Hat. 